Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Kristen Stoneking, the senior pastor here. And I'm Brian Adkins, associate pastor. Our mission here is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Genesis 22, 1-18, the New International Version. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place of God, for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. While I and the boy go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself took, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went, went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an offer in there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, 
Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram, caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
first sermons I ever delivered was the week after Grandma Flo died. And the text was the raising of Lazarus. And in my grief to preach on that text was challenging, but in some ways healing. Now today it seems fitting that my last sermon at Epworth is on Father's Day in the wake of my own father's death. And I'm not going to talk about my dad very much in this sermon. Uh, I have asked that some of his music be included in the worship service, so you'll hear that in a little while. My dad sang in a gospel band and traveled around central and southern Ohio singing the good news. For some reason, the text I've chosen today is on Abraham's near sacrifice of his son Isaac. Not exactly a story of Father of the Year, but I wonder whether there's more to the story than meets the eye. My Hebrew Bible professor, maybe familiar to you, the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey Kwan, challenged students to preach the difficult and disturbing texts in the scripture, not to skip them because they are part of our inheritance and our tr faith tradition. So here we go. For some reason, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham obeys, he leads his son up the mountain and binds him and lays him upon the altar when miraculously a lamb shows up uh, uh, just in time. And my first thought as I read this story behind, beyond Abraham's perceived faithfulness and Isaac's innocence and God's intervention, I wonder what that car ride home was like. I can only imagine a shell-shocked Isaac staring silently out the passenger window at the passing Mesopotamian uh, countryside and eventually turning to his father and saying, what in God's name was that about? And the classic reading of this text is God's testing of Abraham and Abraham's obedient response. 
The text presents one of the most difficult conundrums in our faith life. How do we understand the story? How do we believe God? Uh, and do we believe God to be a God who demands this kind of sacrifice? Or who demands this kind of blind faith? Do we believe that God tests us in such ways too? I shudder to think how many times this text has been used in consoling grieving parents, and I'm sure that it has. And I always want to ask where we are in the story. Are we Abraham or are we Isaac, dare I ask? Are we God? Are we the ones demanding sacrifice or the one devotedly obedient or are we the sacrifice ourselves? One of the challenges in these old stories is that the answer is usually yes. Yes, we're each of these characters, the powerful, the obedient, and the sacrificial. Sometimes the actor, sometimes the bystander. And maybe that's how come we can read these stories over and over again, because there are new truths hidden in them. And each time we return to the scripture, we're invited to reconsider all that we know about them. Now, Abraham being the hero of the early part of Genesis, we can't help but consider this story from his perspective. In the broader narrative of this book, this is a test of the covenant between this man and his God. And through this episode, we may learn something about the creator God and, and God's demands of creation. In the text, there's just one line that invites us into Isaac's perspective. Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Leaving servants behind, Abraham and Isaac journey up the mountain alone. Abraham carries the fire, Isaac carries the wood. And this image has been likened to Jesus bearing his own cross. In fact, the whole story has long been seen as a foreshadowing of God's sacrifice of Jesus, his own son. Only in this story, the son is spared. Or is he? The story reads that just as Abraham is about to bring down the knife upon Isaac, an angel of the Lord intervenes. Here, the method called text criticism of the scripture may shed some light on the story. As Bible scholars study this text, there's strong consensus that there were at least two writers or editors of this text. Throughout the book of Genesis, the voices of different writers and editors can be heard, as evidenced by the words they use for God. One writer or redactor consistently uses the word Elohim for God, and we call that writer the Elohist. And another voice uses the word Yahweh for God throughout, and we call him the Yahwist. There are likely others. One scholar, Omri Boom, in his book, the Binding of Isaac, an inner biblical polemic on the question of disobeying a manifestly illegal order, he argues that this story has been redacted at least twice. Looking at cues in the text, he suggests that the original story, God sets up this tragic task, and being faithful, Abraham goes along with it. The tension builds and builds until, with his knife raised, Abraham concludes that God is not going to intervene. And at that point, Abraham says essentially, well, this is just wrong and I'm not going to do it. That ram will just have to do. And in his version, Abraham is disobedient. Boom suggests that a later editor couldn't live with the idea that Abraham could be disobedient and get away with it. So he edited it to say that Abraham actually did kill Isaac. And one final redactor, maybe an effort to countermand the child sacrifice, leaves us with this tale of the angelic intervention. God saves the day at the very last minute. 
And we can't know for sure whether these theories hold water, but if the original story of Abraham's disobedience was redacted and placed with murder, then and then at the last minute clemency, then we have inherited a truly problematic story and one that has colored our understanding of God from the beginning. One commentator writes, if this is the case, the final redactor has stolen from Judeo-Christian tradition a brilliant story and has put us all through hell trying to come up with convoluted reasons why God is still good in this final version. It matters. Which version we believe and preach and teach matters. What is written and what is behind the text matters. I'll come back to that in a moment. As I read and reread this story, I, I get stuck on Isaac's words. Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? It's so painful to consider that as they approach that sacrificial moment, my God, he still doesn't know. They're climbing the mountain and he still doesn't know. He's carrying the wood and he still doesn't know. He's being bound and he still doesn't know. And as I read, I can't help but consider the state of the church of Jesus Christ in the world today. Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the sacrifice? I see passion in the church among conservatives and progressives alike, and I see the wood. Our theology and institutions, the means by which the fire moves, and where and who is the sacrifice? This is when the story we read matters. In this framing, we may be Abraham, and in some fanatical devotion to what is called obedience, we, I believe we sacrifice our vulnerable and innocent ones on the altar out of a devotion not to God himself, but to the idols of our texts and traditions. This story seems to legitimize the abuse of power in relationships. It dehumanizes the vulnerable, not to mention what it does to our witness in the world. What relevance can people today find in a God that would demand or condone or turn a blind eye to this kind of sacrifice? But thanks to our Wesleyan tradition, we call the Wesleyan quadrilateral, our texts and traditions are not the only things that guide us. We are also invited to bring our faith and experience and reason to. If we can reconsider this text in light of biblical scholarship, perhaps there's yet some hope here. Because now more than ever is when we need that heroic and disobedient Abraham. Now is when we need the experiential and reasonable Abraham. We're not living in the dark ages anymore. We're living in the age of the light of Christ. In that original story, despite his disobedience, and perhaps because of it, Abraham is judged righteous. Perhaps the test wasn't about blind faith after all, but about reason and faithfulness to the stewardship of God's gifts and our future. Perhaps it can inform us in our living of the gospel, a gospel that does not allow us the convenience of being perpetrators or bystanders in the face of the murder of innocents. We have some choice in how we read scripture. We choose whether we read it literally or allegorically. We choose whether we place ourselves in these stories and where we place ourselves. We choose the authority we give to the text itself and we choose whose voice we lift up in our readings. We make these choices consciously or subconsciously and they undergird our theological perspectives. And as I read, it's Isaac's voice, Isaac's question that haunts me he demands and deserves an answer. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Having inherited this story and in light of the gospel, we might ask, where's the lamb? Where's Christ in the story?
there are times when disobedience is the most faithful course of action. Even as we reject blind disobedience, we can also reject blind disobedience too. None of us has cornered the market on truth, thank God. In our confirmation class that has just concluded, there was a session called Heretics Are Us. It invites critical engagement of our traditions and scriptures. And I want our young people to know that our faith is not dead. It's not a once and done deal, but it is alive and evolving and it belongs to them and to us to shape. There's a quote from Alan Bosek, a leader in the anti-apartheid movement who said, when we stand before him, God will ask, where are your wounds? And we will say, I have no wounds. And God will ask, was nothing worth fighting for? I'm a little ashamed that as I saw the conferences, the United Methodist Conference's attitude toward the people of Trinity United Methodist Church, I was not more disobedient. It was probably inevitable and, and maybe even proper that the church was going to be closed, but it didn't have to be so spiritually and emotionally harmful along the way. It didn't have to be done callously and through form letters and accusations. They deserve better. And it's sad when the power we have to speak truth to is the very institution that has given us the platform for our ministries. In my last sermon, I challenged us to let go of the misapprehension that we have the, the luxury of being bystanders. And I choose to read Abraham's story as an act of disobedience and a disobedience that God honored. That if this was a test, it was not a test of obedience, but of love. I close with this quote from Paul's letter to the Romans. This is part of our communion liturgy, and we read it over and over again. Romans 12, 11. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. A living sacrifice, not a dead or a dying one, holy and acceptable, not blindly obedient, but holy and acceptable. To sacrifice our fear and our shame and our reticence, to name and confront and rebuke what is unjust in the name and in the way of Jesus. I've been blessed to be a witness to the ministry and passion and faith of Epworth over nine years. And my challenge to you and to myself is to continue to dig deeper and to go further and to disobey when it is right to do so. And in so doing, we will find that God is faithful. God is always, always faithful. And for that, we give thanks to God. Well, I've stood by you Through good times and through bad times I've stood by you When you did not have a dime And I'll stand by you When it seems you have no friends I'll stand by you Very, but then I stand by, I stand by him when I hear that trumpet sound, and I'll stand by, I'll stand by him when the King of Kings is crowned, and I'll walk with, I'll walk with him. But 
within I walk with I walk with Him through eternity Well I've walked with you In valleys and on hills And I've walked with you when you felt so ill And I walked with you For another mile I walked with you Until your very end But then I'll stand by I'll stand by Him You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Brian Adkins, Associate Pastor here. We'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins Street at the corner of Napa and Hopkins. And I'm Senior Pastor Kristen Stoneking. If you connect to our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Rain. Fill it all around me. I feel it all around me Hurting my head And there's pain I can feel it all around me I feel it all around me
time to say goodbye again it's hard to do that but I think we're not saying goodbye we're we're saying that we are sent in different ways to be ministers of the gospel I'm sent to be a minister in another place and you will remain here and continue to be a light in the city of Berkeley and beyond I'm grateful for you I have been blessed to be a witness hear this benediction we go forth from this place, from wherever we are, to do good, to minister to God's people, to reach out to the least and the last and the lost. We go forth in the name and the way of Jesus, joyfully, gratefully, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us go in peace. Amen. I'm standing here on George Banks, face the roaring tide.
storms of life keep reaching, but I'm happy down inside. I can see a love boat coming, take me safe home. And I've got a feeling in my heart, best of shit to come. I'll be singing the best of shit to come when I walk to hell this day. It's the first time I'll see Jesus, you know. Every day, walking this narrow way. Well, I've been mighty blessed to God, and I'm holding to His hand. Well, the journey's almost over, victory's almost now. I've got a feeling in my heart, best to shit. I've got a feeling in my heart 